from far live. Um, obviously, you guys have been around the sport for a long time. John, you are the president of the board of directors here at the Western States Endurance Run. You've been on the board since 1991, I believe. What, what are the responsibilities of the president of Western States? Um, boy, that's a hard one. Uh, the board itself is kind of, you know, does all the back story stuff of, of the race. Uh, obviously, Craig Thornley, our race director, does all the logistics of the race itself. But the budgeting, the sponsors, all that kind of stuff is with and, and the policy stuff is what the board does. And uh, we have a great board, just 15 people on it. Um, it is a little bit like herding cats sometimes, and that's my job. I'm the chief cat herder. Okay. <laughs> it's an important job. Yeah. Just try to keep everybody on track, and uh, and I'm kind of a delegator. We have a lot of great people. They don't need a lot of supervision, so I uh, try to put the right people on the right tasks and then get out of the way and let them do their thing. And you've been the president in the past, right? There's certain Correct. term limits or something? Um, How does that it's work? It's not written into the bylaws, but traditionally it's been four or five years and um, and you're kind of worn out and somebody else comes in. And so I, I, I did it for five years quite a while ago, like 10 to 15 years ago. And uh, then Tim Pweetmeyer was president after me, and then John Trent after him. And now I'm sort of like Rover Cleveland. I'm, <laughs> I'm back after hiatus. Uh, we want to ask you some more questions about Western states, but I also want to ask the two of you to share sort of your own ultra running story. Both of you have done at least 80 ultras um, over. 30 years in one person's example and more, and more maybe him. approaching 40 in another. Yeah, well, yeah, I ran my first ultra in 1981. Okay. And you were probably still with diapers or something. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> guilty as charged. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, it was kind of uh, a slow morphing for me from road running to ultra running and trail runs weren't really a thing until the 80s and so the, the very early ultra running a lot of it was just longer road runs um, but then some trail runs started coming in western states of course but you don't just jump in and run 100 miles so uh, um, so yeah and then i came up here for the first time to pick early it was a snow year in 1983 and uh, so one of her other friends who was going to pace her a little bit, um, we were in Michigan Bluff, we heard that she dropped, we didn't know what to do. Somebody said, hey, if you drive to the river crossing, you might catch the leaders. And back then you could go anywhere, do anything. You so you could drive all the way down. So we did. And we just missed Jim King. Um, but um, uh, we saw like second place guy and we said, oh, well, let's stay here until dark and go home. And then it got dark and people were coming down the hill with the flashlights because headlamps hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> and that was pretty mesmerizing. Then the aid station, literally there were like two people at the aid station. And, and so it's like they were getting busy and it's like, Ken, 
can we guys give you a hand? Yeah. And, and so, I mean, long story short, we left at five in the morning when the aid station closed. And 1983. That was 1983, and I've been back every year since. Wow, this is my 36th straight year of being here. And Lisa, your own ultra history is nothing to sneeze at. Well, compared to John's, it is. He laughs at me. When we were driving into the valley yesterday, I said, wow, I've, I said, I think this is my 16th year coming up here, 17th year. And it's like, oh, this is my 35th year coming up to Western Temple. Lisa, your own ultra history. So um, you're up to 80 something. I'm now. up to 84 or 5, something like that. So and I'm nudging towards 100. Oh, and, and counting now that I'm getting. Well, the most like, ch captivating moment I can recall is Gunhild Swanson's finish. I mean, 70 years old, finished the race with six seconds to spare before the cutoff was when she hit the track I'm looking at my watch and it's like she's not gonna make it it's like 250 yards and and you know she's, she's gonna run she's like, gonna run like eight minutes yeah. to make it around and and I'm doing the math in my head and it's like oh this is gonna be brutal she's gonna be like 50 yards from the finish when the when the 30 hours rolls over and she was I mean, God bless her, she was sprinting. She had Rob yeah. Carr. Yeah, Rob Carr on the race that year and went down to Roby Point to kind of spectate the next morning. And and he's in flip-flops, you know, and he's running up the hill with her and he's like screaming at her, you know, he's looking at his watch. and, and, and 16 she, hours earlier. Yeah, and she went, boy, she she went to, you know, dug deep and, and you know, I, I, I think maybe it was Carl Hoagland's line, I'll steal it, uh, but uh, you gotta love a sport where the last place finished by a 70-year-old woman is the most exciting thing that's ever happened. So true, so darn true. Lisa, do you have any stories like that you want to share? Well, it seems like every year there's something that's so emotional, and I feel choked up even just talking about Gunhild right now, but I think something most people don't know is, you know, we get to that booth so early in the afternoon on Saturday, and we stay up around the clock until, you know, 11 o'clock the next morning. We don't sleep, we're just, you know, and it's broiling up there. It's not the same as it is for the runners, but it's our own little private ultra. Ultra. And so, every year, there are so many tears in the booth, all of us, even John. We cry so much for the last runners. And last year, when our friend Wally, I'm gonna get choked up when talking about Wally, came onto the track and kept falling and couldn't make it around in time. The amount we cried up there, we were sobbing and we were beating on the glass and someone always says, we're gonna break the glass, stop, because we're like <laughs> thinking they can hear us. And so that was exciting, but it does seem like we shed an awful lot of tears every year. Yeah. You know, in the, the last people to finish before the 24 hour mark, the last before 30, and Megan's always out at Roby texting who's come through, and so we know if somebody is right on that bubble at the end, and we get all worked up. If she says nobody's coming, we're very relieved because we don't want to see someone come on the track. And it, it's, not a, it's, it's, awful. It's, it's a long night, but it goes by so quickly.
I mean, there's a little bit of... It's, it's, a, it's a little like bit a race. Of, it's yeah. a long race, but it's like, it feels like... A lot like, of stuff happening all yeah. the time, and we know enough people that know about people, and then we have their stories and stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's just uh, gotten really interesting in the last decade with more and more overseas runners. Yeah. And, uh, but that's, that's actually something I want to talk about, the kind of transition back to, you know, the board and things like that. And you guys have made some really... I think impressive and productive uh, changes with the rules recently, like with the one-time buy, and I yeah. understand there's going to be more announcements this week. Um, and you've been on the board since 1991, which I think, like, Jim Walmsley may not have even been born in 1991. <laughs> and the race has changed so much. How do those types of rules uh, I mean, how does the, the, the ideas come about, and then how do you guys kind of have, have that conversation and ultimately implement those rules? Well, we we're always kind of looking at the sport in a broad brush sense and how it's changing and what can we do to make our event better. And, um, you know, things change. And, and so uh, it's gotten... I don't think anybody back in the day would have ever anticipated, you know, a, a two percent chance of getting into the race with, with one ticket in the lottery, and and, and that's, you know, it's, it's great to be popular, but it's kind of a curse because right. it's so hard for people to get in, and so initially. Especially in the last 10 years, the sport has just grown so much. And, and, you know, having been on the board for so long, have the last 10 years been like, in the grand context of your time on the board, felt pretty hectic? Or? Yeah, it has. And it, it's a little bit like everything's accelerating. Yeah. Um, the growth of running overseas, especially in Europe, is just crazy. I mean, uh, in Asia, Asia it's now is coming on in a big way. And, and, you know, there's still opportunity for growth, I think, in Africa and in South America, but we're, we're seeing that a little bit. And so, and things are starting to slow down in the States in terms of numbers. Uh, so the growth is slowing, which, you know, is sort of like a classic S curve. Yep. Uh, and so, but how you adjust to that, I mean, 20 years ago, we used to reserve 25 spots for overseas runners in the race so that we would have an international field. And this last year, we had like 1,300 overseas runners applied for the lottery. You know, so it's just really, it's changed dramatically. And you, you adjust as best you can. But, and